0: Welcome to the Goal In Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Russ, and I'm proud to be bringing you these stories of everyday heroes from Sydney, Australia. Today on the show, our guest is Amy Vickers from ATV Consulting and Coaching. Now, if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you'll know that one of the reasons that I created the Goal In Podcast was to tell and share more veteran stories. And I've been so lucky and honored and privileged to have been able to do that. But something you might not know is that I also wanted to have a frank and open discussion about PTSD and how that affects not only veterans, but all of us as humans. Now there's no denying it. PTSD is part of the human experience, but here's the thing. You don't have to go through it alone. And it's taken me a little while to find somebody that would be willing to talk about it and record it on a podcast. So I'm really gracious in saying thank you to Amy for coming on and sharing her story. And I guess, Today's show comes with a little bit of a disclaimer that some of these topics that we cover are really hard to listen to, and in some ways, they're even harder to talk about. But I urge you, please, stick with us today as it's very, very important. It's important that we talk about these things. And if we can reach just one person, or you, the listener, can share this show with just one person that might be struggling a little bit, it might make a difference to everything. So stick with us today. As you'll hear from Amy, she's a 23 year veteran of the Royal Australian Navy. She's still a current serving member going strong, but that's not the focus of today's podcast. Our focus, as you probably have guessed by now, is the topic, the difficult topic of PTSD. If you or anyone close to you has suffered, you'll know that it can be absolutely crippling and it's so damn hard to work through. Amy has got more experience in the veteran space with PTSD than most. She's been a facilitator of a program called Trojans Trek, and that's a peer support therapy program for current and former defense members. Now, if this podcast raises any issues for you, or you want to talk some more about these topics or seek some help, then please leverage the services that are available to you, like lifeline.org.au, or beyondblue.org.au, or buddyupaustralia.org.au. And those links are going to be right in the show notes for this podcast. Amy has a pretty epic goal in story, and she shares what it really means to live with and suffer with PTSD, and how damn hard it is to go it alone. Now, whatever you do, if you're suffering, don't do that. Please put your hand up and get some help. There's so many people out there that can help you. I'm honored she's here to share her story. So please help me in welcoming Amy Vickers. Well, good day, Amy. Welcome to the Goal In podcast. It's so great to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Rob. It's lovely to be here.
0: All right. Awesome. Well, I'm excited on a a couple of fronts. First of all, you're a serving member of the Australian Defence Force, so thank you for your service, and it's great to have a fellow Royal Australian Navy sailor on the show, but we're not going to talk very much about your service today. We're going to talk about how you help veterans and uh, some of the things that you've done, and we're going to talk a lot about PTSD and mental health, which is a topic that is... uh, not talked about enough, and I don't think there's anybody better qualified to talk about it than you from a serving member's perspective and some of the things that you've done. So I'm really thankful that you're here. I'm, I'm glad that you're here to come on the show to, to talk about it. And if you're a first time listener to the Goal In podcast, you're in for a real treat. Believe me, this is going to be something special. And if you're back for more, welcome back. We love our repeat offenders here on the Goal In show. So stand by to stand by because this is going to be a good one. Amy, before we kick it off, tell us a little bit about you.
1: Where are you from? Originally, I was. Uh, I grew up in sunny Tasweja. <laughs> so Tasmania was uh, home for the first 16 years of my life. And uh, I saw a helicopter land on my oval and I decided that was the job for me. So I uh, convinced my parents I was going to join the Navy. And 23 years later, I've been of service to the Navy. And as you said, I've just through my service experience, have dived right into what it means to be of service, some of the impacts that come on from service and the mental health space. Very good. Very good. And was that, was that a
0: Navy helicopter that you saw back in the day? Can you remember what it was?
1: It most certainly was. It was a Seahawk. And the uh, man who, uh, who t- spoke to me about it featured right the way through my career. So it's, that was pretty fantastic from the moment of selling his aircraft, his job and his passion to uh, following right through the career. Really, really cool. Not, not
0: many people know the story of how I was recruited into the military. And maybe if you just allow me to indulge a little bit here on my own podcast and share that story, because it's a bit <laughs> funny. Uh, it's, it's, a little, it's a little bit funny. I went into recruiting in Parramatta and here up here in Sydney, and the guy behind the desk, he was a Navy guy. And I said, hello, mate, I want to be in the army, because I always wanted to run around the bush and shoot a gun and do that sort of thing. And he said, you don't want to do that, mate. What are you, what are you talking about? come over here, come sit down here. And um, he sat me down and, and uh, he showed me a in back in the day, old school, you know, VHS video, put it in the player. And it was this like really cool warry Navy video. And literally like eight weeks, nine weeks later or something before I knew what was happening. I was on the bus on the way to HMAS Cerberus to recruit school, wondering where all the guns were. And unfortunately there was no guns.
1: <laughs> oh, those videos. yes yes
0: yeah the, the the rat bag sailor that recruited me I think um like I, I tell the story facetiously with a bit of like kind of crankiness about it but I think in reality he made the right choice for me without realizing to be honest I reckon I would have really struggled in the army as a 17 year old it would have because when I when I finally got out of the navy and joined the army it was a real struggle for me the the, the difference I thought oh how different could it be it was chalk and cheese It's completely different. I knew nothing about the Australian Defence Force, nothing about the Army. Just because I'd been in the Navy and been a few places, it actually didn't mean anything. So it was an early life lesson for me. And, you know, in the end, I think I thanked him just just secretly. I don't even remember the guy's name. It would be good if I could because it played out okay in the end.
1: Very good
0: story there. Very good story. Yeah, fun, fun little story there. So, uh, w- what's your background in the Navy? Are we just able to just to, just to find out a little bit about yeah, you, and then we'll come of of course, move on of
1: course. So I started out. Uh, I joined as an aviation technician, avionics, and so I followed that bouncing ball, and then went through all the uh, training. Worked on the Navy Seahawks, which were just a really great piece of kit. I, I mentioned to you earlier that I loved the aircraft, but there was always something about the people, people, the teams, leadership. It was always about the people. So I've sort of moved away from that now and I'm doing more in the people space. So it's it's been a career of adventure.
0: Yeah, I could, I could reiterate that for you as well as a, uh, as a combat systems operator for the people out there that don't know what that is, at radar, sonar, electronic warfare. So we would fight the video game in the guts of the warship and everybody else around us would kind of support us to do that because that's why it's a warship because you've got weapons and you're going to employ those weapons. And I always recall, I remember on a golf trip that we did, what a tight team the birdies were. And yeah. they always reminded me of a football team of just a bunch of, a bunch of boys and girls that worked together really, really well and they were efficient. But gosh, they were, dare I say it, they were the hardest working or the, they seemed like the most worked people on the ship because getting I'm that aircraft
1: <laughs> yeah
0: getting the aircraft available and making that happen just had to happen no matter what and they stayed on watch until it happened and i always remember thinking it was all would have been awesome to be part of that football team but bugger doing all that work that looked like it was really
1: hard yeah hard but really rewarding i think mm. when you're out at sea you are the only person that has a responsibility to put the aircraft up to know your trade and that teamwork is just essential to what we do out there. And yeah, definitely a highlight of the career.
0: Well, the Navy team works is the, (laughs) is the catch line. And, uh, I think they finally got that right after many, many years of recruiting videos and different things. I, I really do echo that team. The team does work. And that is really kind of embodies what it feels like to be in the Navy as well. It's a, a kind of a, a cool thing. But look, we're going to talk some more about your experiences uh, in the military as well throughout this show. But the reason people come on over to the Go All In podcast, Amy, is to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, mate, could you please share with us your biggest Goal All In story, or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think my first all-in would be just simply joining the military from a, a fantastic upbringing in Tasmania, right into that world of adulting. Let me tell you, Rob, I didn't adult particularly well, so I learned a few things about I learnt a few things about boys. I learned learnt a few things about money. Let me let me tell you, the thing I learnt about boys is quite simply, boys make babies. <laughs> so at sixteen. <laughs> I found myself uh, found myself with baby, and look at that moment, it was an all-in choice for me. I I really wanted to do this job, um, so with my vast array of adulting experience, I decided to put my daughter into uh, a an adoptive family, and that was um, that was at the time like I had this adulting damp pad in my mind. I knew what was going on, but nonetheless. My commitment to do the dream job, um, see my little one thrive in a fantastic family that's a, a big all in moment for me and I took a lot of personal learnings I took a lot of professional learnings and as you know, in the military it's a male dominated environment, so it was a really unique time to learn about myself and how to how to survive in that environment so that was you can't get more all in for, for me in that moment.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. When, when did you? So, that happened before you joined the Navy? No, that was after I joined the Navy. Oh, gosh. So, yeah. how, what year did you join the Australian Navy?
1: 1996.
0: So, things have, the reason I ask that question is things have changed dramatically over the last 20 years or whatever it's been. Yeah. And, you know, back in the day, as you, as you correctly point out, it's a very male dominated environment. I can remember, in fact, in 1996, I was on HMAS Melbourne. Um, got a missile frigate, which parked up into the dry dock at Garden Island here in Sydney. And we were the last Australian warship to be fitted out to have women on a ship. Previously, we'd had female officers, but there was only like a, maybe a doctor or a couple of officer of the watch trainee type things on there. There was only, you know, on the ship, there'd be maybe two or three girls at most. But I was driving around on warships before then with only men on the ship. So, it really has changed dramatically back in the day. Gosh, that must've been a really hard thing. Did you you feel isolated there like that as a, as a female in that male dominated environment or were you supported?
1: Yeah, I really did. I I think my commitment to do the job was such that you get, you get taught to just get on with it, to focus on the end goal. So to be honest, I think like a lot of trauma incidents, you just sort of box it up, pop it away and just look at that end goal. And for me, it was not until some time later where I actually got to unpack it a little bit more but uh, in that environment it was it was really interesting as a young a young adult trying to unsuccessfully adult
0: <laughs> yeah yeah gosh
1: and did the military support you were they were they good about it yeah they were they were as good as they could be I think I, I chose to um, sort a lot of it out myself because I thought you know these adults, we, you know, we make trouble and we, we sorted ourselves. So I took a lot upon myself to try and sort. And I think, you know, with what I knew at the time, I certainly made some decisions, probably not reaching out to the right supports. So it was definitely uh, yeah, a lot of learnings that came out of it. And you said that
0: I guess boys have got a really bad habit of it. That's actually, believe it or not, in my 40 odd years existing on this planet, it's the first time I've heard a female say you take those emotions put them in a box and put them aside and you deal with it later I think guys have got a a habit of doing that I don't know I don't want to generalize but I think men are good at compartmentalizing emotions and then not dealing with them and then it comes and bubbles to the surface later did that is that what you did did it bubble to the surface later on
1: yeah absolutely so moving on from that I had I, I got the dream job. I passed my courses. I got to the Romeo, uh, not to the Romeo, to the Seahawk helicopters, which was just...
0: To the, to the Bravo back in the
2: day.
1: Back to the Bravos, that's right. <laughs> so the old workhorses, and that was really cool. But I think after around right about the 17, 17 years of service, Mark, um, I'd done three golf trips. Um, I'd had another two kiddies. Um, yeah, had dealt with suicide, sexual assault, you know, the raft of roller coaster stuff that uh, life can throw at you. And I just hit that point of rock bottom. Look, at the time, um, going along that theme of putting things in boxes, um, I just had the mask of sanity on, and I turned up every day, ticked all the right boxes. So the people who could have perhaps helped me, uh, they weren't really aware of just how bad I was. And I probably wasn't myself either. So I uh, decided to go along to a veteran support program. Look, Honestly, Rob, in my heart of hearts, I thought I'm not going to get anything out of it. You know, life is, is just, just fine. Mm. Um, and I would convinced myself that it was. And so I went along to the veteran support program and uh, shock horror, there was no mobile phones. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have to sit there and actually listen.
1: Oh, yeah, I had to. I had to sit with it. And I'll be honest, it took the program was about five days. And four days I sat there thinking, I really don't belong here. And then on the fifth day, I decided to let the uh, veneer crack a little bit. And yeah, I actually began to see that I was quite dissociated from myself, from my environment. A lot of things were going on around me that I just hadn't given myself the time to, to even notice or process. And so, sorry, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. From that point, rock bottom it was. I came out and sat with a lot of things that I just hadn't dealt with. Now, uh, look, I used the network and I used the tools that I'd found from the program. The program was the Chosen's Trek, and that's still running. And I ended up coming back to this program uh, with a new sense of self. Look, the things that I dealt with in society and even in service, there's a level of stigma, there's a level of shame. You know, some 20 years after I'd had my daughter, people would come up. I work in a very small community, and people would say, I remember you you're that girl that had the baby or you're the girl that used to drink. And I'm like, that I was allowed me to reintroduce myself.
0: Yeah. 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 It's it's interesting. I was going to say that the the military and wherever you go in the military in Australia or anywhere else in the world, it's a microcosm of society. It's you have all cross sections of society concentrated into the one place. And, normally it's kind of outside of that and, and I can say that with the benefit of being a civvy for a long time now it's more birds of a feather you know like-minded people all kind of flock together but in the military you're all forced into this microcosm we all put in together like that you you mentioned to me that there was a little bit of stigma attached to to what was happening what was wrong what you would be treating for and you mentioned to me that nothing was off limits. So do, do you mind if we talk about that a little bit and, and maybe just unpack that a bit for the audience?
1: Yes. So are you talking about um, the people? Like, so after the program, I effectively went into self-awareness and self-help mode. And mm-hmm. so for me, I found out that um, what I was living with was PTSD. So is that... Um, yeah. Unpack that a little? Yep. Yeah, be so look, what I found for me, the main thing was... Before I had awareness of it, there was a lot of, I've been on the scene of three aircraft crashes uh, with three fatalities and there were things that were coming back about that majority of the time when I was stressed and, you know, just that complete feeling of numbness. So to give you an example, we had a um, suicide in our close family and I just felt nothing. Um, And that's, that's really, really tough to actually sit in that space and be aware that you feel genuinely nothing.
0: What do you mean you didn't feel nothing? Was the person close to you in a yeah, member of your family? Yeah, very close. And you weren't happy, you weren't sad, you were just like, oh.
1: I knew that I knew that I needed to project sadness because that was what was expected. Of course. Uh, but inside it was just a, I just did not have the capacity to connect with any feelings at all.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and do you know was, why?
1: I just hadn't allowed myself. I didn't I think it was one of those things that it just needed to be put inside a box because not only did I not know how to deal with the feelings, um, I I just didn't, I didn't, maybe didn't want to, I don't know, but it just happened automatically. And it was something that, you know, with a little bit of hindsight, you reflect on and go, yeah, that was a point where I was really quite low. Mm -hmm. Would you allow me to uh, in the, in the interest
0: of the veteran community and the veteran audience that's listening in and, Sure. the thousands of people that listen to this podcast I'm going to share my PTSD story
2: hmm.
0: yeah so for me it's uh, it's difficult to share so it was I had a, uh, a parachute malfunction yeah I was at the right where you work at HMAS Albatross the Australian parachute school is there Australian Army parachute school and uh, I got out of an airplane once and with my mate and I, I bumped heads with him we were flying together so kind of face to face this was in free got out just normal, like I mean, 10 or 12,000 feet or something like that. And I, I flew into him and I, and I bumped into him and I was on my, on my back and he was above me. It's a bit kind of hard to explain when you're listening to an audio podcast. And he was pointing with his right hand at his right shoulder like, like this. If you're watching the video, you can see what I'm doing. Because right there in where your right shoulder is on your right side, where you put put your thumb in there, that's the handle that you pulled to open your parachute. And what had happened is when I crashed into my mate in the sky, into him, it had dislodged my handle and my handle was up under my arm floating and it hadn't pulled the parachute. So the handle is just a, Um, It's just like a ripcord, literally a ripcord that you pull all the way out and then it dislodges the pilot chute, which has got a spring in it that pops out, pulls the parachute out and you're under a canopy. So it's a very simple, simple system and people always worry about parachutes failing, but they don't fail because they're so unbelievably simple. But at this particular point, we got out of the plane, bumped into each other, I I was floating on my back, not really spinning out of control, looking at my mate pointing like that and I flipped over just arched and I flipped over back on belly facing towards the earth as you're supposed to be. And I did the drill to try and I looked at my altimeter and put my hand there and I didn't feel the handle. And then I kind of grabbed up under my arm and I could feel it up under my arm and I was like, I couldn't quite get there. And all of a sudden I was back on my back and, and the drill, the drill, (laughs) the drills are kind of funny when you think about it, when you're on the ground doing the drills, the instructor says to you, you're spinning out of control. You're above 6,000 feet. What do you do? And there I was spinning out of control above 6,000 feet, trying to get this handle, try and do it. And the drill is you have two goes at it. Have one go at it, have another go at it. If you don't get it, you have a thing called a cutaway pad on the same side, which pulls that off and that handle goes away. And just pull your reserve when the reserve parachute sits below it. So the drill's pretty simple. It's easy to remember. But I can remember looking at my altimeter and I was at about 7,500 feet. I remember it clear as day and I thought, I've got about 10 seconds to get this thing. And I, I reached, I grabbed, I missed it. I reached the grid the second time and I looked at my altimeter. I was coming up on 6,000 feet. It was below 6,000 feet, hard arch, cut away, pop the reserve. Anyway, I can remember it clear as day now as I recount it. And I had two goes at it. I missed it, missed it both. And then I looked again and I, went, I grabbed it and I banged and I got it. And it came out. And I, normally you pull your ripcord with your right hand but I pulled my ripcord with my left hand. And as I pulled it, I flicked it away and flew, threw it away. And normally when you get on the ground, you've got your ripcord in your hand or you put it in your, in your pocket, in your, like in your cargo pants. Anyway, I landed just normally. Everything was safe. I was okay. I flared my parachute. I picked up my stuff and I took the parachute into the shed where the riggers were. And he said, where's your handle? And I said, that's a good question. Where is my handle? And it happened so quickly that I didn't even realize I'd had a malfunction. I didn't know. I didn't know this had happened to me. And at the time it was a very scary sort of event, I suppose, while I was flying through the sky. But in, in reality, it's probably 30 seconds of my life. Not even, it's probably 20, 20 seconds of my life that, that had happened. And oh, I just realized I just had a, just had a malfunction. I had a floating handle. I got on the ground. And he goes, oh, well, that's 50 bucks for your handle. It's going to cost you 50 bucks. And I just sort of shrugged my shoulders. He packed the parachute and that was it. And that was the end of it. But for me, I didn't really think much about it. Nobody debriefed me. Nobody said anything. They just said, next time, you know, just be a bit more careful in the sky. And my mate Paul's like, oh, man, what happened there? You know, like your mates do type thing. And it wasn't until probably, I don't know, must have been two months later that I started to like just freak out about stuff over nothing. And I'd never really had a traumatic experience in my life that kind of compared to anything like that. I'd been in Timor, I'd been in the Gulf, I'd done all of those things and you know, it was not a big deal, but it's funny how PTSD can affect you about anything. It can be a car accident. It could be a motorbike accident. It could be a, a death, a trauma. Yeah. The last thing in the world that I thought it would affect me from would be a parachute malfunction for heaven's sake. And I'm totally fine. I didn't even get hurt. Nothing happened, but I would, I would have, <laughs> when I think about it, like the feeling that I get, it kind of makes me giggle a little bit. Cause I would have this rising, this rising tension of anxiety. It'd be like, I would just freak out. Like, Oh, <gasps> Oh my God. And then I'd be okay. Just, and it would just come on like periodically. It would often happen when I was in the car by myself where I'd be like, <gasps> and it would just be this overwhelming emotion, man, this overwhelming fear, panic, scared. I don't know. I, I don't know, but it was like such a powerful thing and always in my chest. Like I'm going to have a freaking heart attack. And I'd be like, <gasps> And on the other side of it, it's like a sneeze, you know, like achoo and it feels good after you sneeze sort of thing. Right. And I would get through that and be like, Oh, and I didn't know what was wrong with me. (laughs) Yeah. And nobody said, and of course, big tough paratroop doesn't say nothing to nobody. Right. And you know, it's, it's sort of, in some ways it's a little bit embarrassing for me to tell the story because in the scheme of PTSD and the things that can go wrong to you in your life, that is actually a little bit of a funny sort of incident. Like, and my mates I'm looking up in the sky at my mate at like 9,000 feet and his eyes are as big as dinner plates pointing and kind of laughing at me and everything was all right. I got on the ground, but I never realized like what happened in my brain and something like has happened in my brain. It's affected me. And I don't really feel like I suffer from that anymore because I've recounted it like hundreds of times in my mind. And you know, the the best PTSD solution for me has been Google (laughs) and like, Google doctor, you know, you shouldn't do that type thing. You should go and talk to a real professional because Google doesn't know everything. But Google said to me that you should just replay it in your mind and take yourself back there. And you realize you can't control it. It's okay. And nobody got hurt. So I don't think it was that bad, but gosh, my version of PTSD for me was such unbelievable, rising, powerful anxiety and emotion just to be like a, to be sneezed out sort of thing. That's how I describe it. But it was so like controlling. Luckily, it sort of never became debilitating or anything like that. But, gosh, I could see how that would happen. Can you maybe share with the audience a little bit about how how you felt and what was happening yeah, to look, if you? You just kind honest, of recounted a few different versions.
1: Yeah. To be honest, Rob, I, I, until I was made aware of the things that were happening, it was all happening unconsciously around me. So um, I had a partner at the time who was into crash investigation shows. Oh, gosh, um, the two aircraft crashes that I was on scene for, it was, we were picking up pieces. We were people of aircraft. It was just, again, that was in a box, but really it was still going on behind the scenes. So the old aircraft crash investigator show would come on and my partner, obviously I got a, uh, got a upgraded, got a new partner <laughs> and uh, this partner was able to see a lot of things in me that I wasn't able to see. So aircraft crash investigator shows or anything with a bit of guts and gore would come on.
0: That's off limits. Yeah.
1: And I, I straight away I would notice in myself. Well, once it was pointed out to me that I would be bored stiff, um, my breathing would change. Um, I just felt really distressed, um, and I, there wasn't any rhyme or reason to it. It, it just was. Mm. And- what did
0: it feel? What did it actually feel like for you? Because people often talk about, ah, oh, that person suffers from PTSD. What does that mean? But I, I don't think my, my version of it is like this really intense, intense emotion that is rising. Did, did you have a feeling like that? Is there something physical that you had?
1: For me, it's just that feeling of, of just overwhelm. And then for, from there, um, if I don't start to just um, either move away from it, I just get that feeling of I don't, I don't feel anymore. Mm. And that's right. pretty, as a mum, <laughs> that's a pretty profound thing to uh, not have feelings. So you attended
0: some help the first time. Then you go into self-help mode. Did you go back again?
1: Look, I went back with the program, I ended up, I took their tools, I took the Sensational Network, and I ended up going back as a mentor and just showing other people that, like you said, your experience of trauma, my experience of trauma, there's no good or bad trauma, it just it is trying to convey to someone how trauma feels. Some people just simply, and I know myself, I didn't have the words. Yeah, it, it can be It is so unique and, yeah, what one person says, that's, how can you possibly be affected by that? Um, I've seen firsthand in so many um, veterans and emergency services worker that it profoundly changes their life.
0: And what about being part of those courses and part of the, the staff that are running those courses? Did that help you?
1: Oh, 100%. 100%. Because I think once you start to realise that, firstly, you're not completely crazy <laughs> um, and I think just that option for having hope that you can learn to live well with service induced injuries and stress illness There's a lot of hope that comes from that. And let's be real. There are some days that are just tough. They're really tough. And then there are other days where things are okay. I've found that through doing the program and being able to confidently and comfortably talk about PTSD, mental health, um, what options are out there um, all those taboo topics that people choose not to talk about because Maybe they don't know how to talk about it. Yeah, we it's that feeling for a lot of people, just to be able to say, "Hey, this is how it happened for me."
0: So, with with the benefit of a little bit of experience and and facilitating courses and hearing a little bit of my story, why, why do you think that I went it alone? Why did it, why was I trying to be the big tough paratrooper but freaking out in the background and not letting anyone see it? Why do, why do people do stuff like that?
1: I think. It just comes down to how much you're willing to allow people in. Look, military, society, they always have this model of what it is to look well. And sometimes just to be able to say, I'm not well, I don't know what's wrong with me, I don't even know where to go. Um, You know, for some people to say, I couldn't get out of bed today, Um, I can't feed myself. You know, the stigma that goes around with that, but that is a reality for so, so many beautiful people.
0: Mm. And why do you think they feel so isolated like that, that they can't put their hand up and society says that, no, you shouldn't be like that. Uh, like, you know, when I think back to, to my experience and you know, it's all relative, right? It, it doesn't matter what you've experienced or what I, all I'm doing is just sharing mine and really in the scheme of things, I still think it's no big deal, but you know, that rising tension and emotion that I felt that was a big deal. It did affect my life. It was, it was a problem. It did impact. Mm. And, I never shared it before with anybody. I never told that story, and here I am on a podcast sharing it publicly because you're doing the same. So let me allow me to reciprocate that. I, I don't remember feeling isolated or anything like that. I just remember feeling like, oh man, these like roller coaster of emotions, and never really even knowing about PTSD or what it meant. And it just, I don't know. I never. Well, why do you think people are isolated by that by themselves?
1: I think look, the nature of some mental health it, it pushes you to disconnect. Um, It pushes you to just try and somehow work it out Um, because we are such, yeah, we are generally able to solve our problems, but there are some times where you just don't even know where to go for help. And so just trying to sit with it, work it out, you know, all the million techniques that are out there to try and help people move forward. Most people try that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. People are so active in trying to help themselves, but sometimes it just takes a little something else.
0: Yeah, you definitely don't want to hit rock bottom before you have to go and do something about it. If there was, if there was one thing that you could say to somebody, to maybe that somebody that's listening to this is feeling a little bit like what we're describing, yeah. what would be the one thing that they could do to kind of jolt them and move them into the to the right direction? I mean, maybe that's not the right verbiage to use or something like that. But what yeah. what can somebody do to to move in the right? Maybe put their hand up and ask for help, but then yeah. they're embarrassed. Who do they ask? But, oh gosh. So, kind of a bit of a negative feedback loop there. What could someone do? What would you recommend?
1: Look, I would say find a community, someone that's, someone that you can speak to about anything, something that you're interested in, something that gives you a little bit of hope. And it might be in the veteran space. It might be outside of the veteran space, it wherever it is. But just find a community to network in. Once you start to be open to talking, connecting with people, then you sort of start to be like, okay, you actually get a little bit of feedback from other people. Hey, I noticed you weren't, uh, you weren't your usual self today. Or, hey, I noticed this. Or when you're by yourself, it's really hard to give yourself that feedback because we don't see a lot of the things that we're doing.
0: Mm. It's, uh, that's well said, well said. And, and getting around other like-minded people and doing something, communities don't have to take the form of like self-help groups. Communities can be sports teams. They can be fun stuff, and if the more fun stuff you do, the more of a community that will feel for you as well. Um, Amy, you said to me nothing was off limit, so I'm going to go there, and, and I'm going to I'm going to ask. Just a last, I think it was last week, maybe the week before. Uh, only really recently, I I got in my car, I reversed out like you normally do. I lined up with the driveway, and I as I as I started to go forward, I turned the radio up, and I put it onto Triple M, and they had. I'm not sure if you heard it down in that part of the world where you live, but they had an an ad free day. So it was, it was really cool. And uh, it was in my view was like one of the most impactful ad campaigns I've ever seen or heard because it's on the radio. And it was about, there's no ads, there's no shows, there's no programming today because we want you to talk about suicide because eight people a day in Australia kill themselves they fall victim to suicide and six of those people are men and everybody talks about men's mental health. Everyone talks about veterans health. Everybody talks about prevention and suicide and all of these things and all of that. You've had personal experience of that. I've also had personal experience of that and I don't think there would be very many Australians that would not have been touched by that. So maybe you could just offer a couple of comments there because you worked in that veteran space with some people, gone through some pretty dark times and they've probably talked to you about that. What, what's been your experience?
1: Look, suicide is one of those conversations worth having because it's, um, it's one of those things that, yeah, it's, as we know, once it's a choice, everyone's got that choice. My experience with suicide, apart from my family member, um, another brother in that family, same family then took their life, which was the father of my son so i 've seen i 've seen from my aspect i 've seen my son 's aspect i 've seen a grieving mum of two sons that have um, taken their life and honestly it is just um, it 's horrendous it's What do I say about suicide? I say suicide sucks. Um, I know um, speaking candidly with groups about suicide that some people no matter how many contact networks they've got, no matter how much support they've got, they are in so so much pain that it isn't about it isn't about it isn't it isn't about a selfish thing. It's about ending pain. Mm-hmm. And so, for the discussions that I have, I truly honour the choice of that person um, to end their pain, knowing that that pain gets gifted to people like my former partner's mum and my son. Yeah, it is um, it is a choice that once made is so impactful, but to know that people can confidently have those discussions about suicide, to know that, yeah, it's okay, it's not off limits. And that is that's really been really powerful and profound to sit around a campfire with a bunch of men and women and talk openly about what it means to them, how dark things can get, but also that road out of recovery and it often comes through connection, community, and really just being comfortable to say, Hey, I considered suicide
0: yeah it's a difficult conversation to have that's very very hard i remember uh, i've been impacted three times in my life as well it's like it's ridiculous and if you ask around to your friends and family that is not uncommon it's not uncommon and and i think that it's sort of what really all of these people i remember uh when i was a kid one of my brother's friends he jumped in front of a train in front of peak hour and killed himself pretty uncool and i remember every time i'd stop at that train platform right there, I'd just be like, man, I can't, I was never like angry or sad about it, but it was, I was just like shocked. Yeah. I believe that he, he did that, but that's what drugs do, right? Heroin and really like dark stuff going on in that guy's mind. And who knows what really was he thinking in the end? Obviously he wasn't thinking the same things we were. And that's why he did that. Then it happened uh, to a guy that I was in the, in the army with um, one morning. We we're on the par- on parade. Um, where's the new guy go and find him went up to the lines go and have a look and one of the boys opened his door and he was hanging from his fan for heaven's sake Whoop! shut the door hey sarge this is what's going on what what the hell and everyone's like what the hell
1: yeah
0: <laughs> it's just shocking like nobody nobody knows what to say and i was even now even all this 20 years later i'm still like i don't know what to say about it other than my gosh that was like terrible and then More recently, a guy I was in the Navy with as well, he killed himself as well. It's like very, 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 very tragic. And your description of gifting their pain to somebody else is so unbelievably accurate. And coming out on the other side of it and talking about it, I think, does it help everybody? No. Is it going to stop everybody? No. But if you're thinking about that, you should talk about it. Who would you say to talk about that? Because that's so unbelievably intimate, difficult and personal. What would, what's what been your experience with that?
1: Look, the Trojans Trek for me, that was a safe place to openly talk about suicide. Obviously, I've done a bit of this applied suicide intervention training through defence. So I think if you want to have those conversations with people upskilling yourself to be able to hold a conversation without diving right into it, because it's just it can be so emotional and painful, but just to be able to say to someone, right, suicide, let's talk about it. And honestly, the faces on people when we start to talk about suicide, it's straight away, oh, let's, no, no, no. And then after a while, we come out of it and people go, you know what, I now know that they can call me, they can call VVCS for the veteran community, they can call Lifeline, look at in my capacity and being open to talking about suicide, we've had a number of people call and, you know, we've called the ambulance to them.
2: Um, Mm. We've
1: also been to the funerals of people who made that choice. And you know what? As sad and as sucky as it is, we love them no less and we respect them so much in the context that they're no longer in pain.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, when When I first started the the go all in brand and the podcast and the whole point of doing it. One of the things that I wanted to to do was to tell more veteran stories and I've been so lucky and so fortunate to be able to do that. Uh, I had a wonderful military career, albeit that rat bag recruiter on the front end kind of skewed it by about five years in the wrong service, but it was still fun anyway. I made the most of it. And I've been so fortunate to to tell other people's stories. You know, I, I had, so, I've got some pretty cool stories myself, but in, it's all relative, you know, what happened to me was kind of cool, but what other people do, you're like, wow, that's, that's awesome. And, and the other thing that I wanted to do was to, to talk about this topic and it's taken me a long time to get here because no one wants to talk about it. And that was really, really unbelievably frustrating for me because I, I think there's no better recruitment tool than a, than a happy ex-member. And I, I can't say enough good things about the military and my experience in Australian defense force, other than maybe my career guidance was a bit shit. (laughs) But, but I also think back in the day, it wasn't the same as what it is today. And I I think if I had some better managers of my career, they would have helped me to stick around longer because I got out too soon. So I think that, you know, that's the one negative thing that I would say, but that's not a criticism of, of the military. It was my choice to leave and they didn't make me stay. It's just not a criticism, but, I never thought that there would be a better person to kind of talk about military experience than somebody that's had a happy experience with it, had a great experience, left on good terms and has got nothing but a glowing response to it. And then, you know, when I started investigating and asking people, hey, who wants to talk about their experience with PTSD? Don't you think it should be shared? I think it should be shared. I think you should be talking about this. Everyone in the media is talking about PTSD and veterans issues and veterans everything, but nobody is actually getting to the guts of it. So Amy, it's so unbelievably good to have you here to be able to do that. It means the world to me. And I know for the listeners out there, whether you're veterans or not, I do know that that is a very, very important topic to be talking about. I can see that you've done a little bit of work with Buddy Up Australia. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, so Buddy Up Australia, they've been fantastic in, they've given me an opportunity to start uh, my counsellor, my diploma of counselling, and so with that, I'll be giving back to the emergency services and the uh, veteran community once again. Look, the vet, the Trojan Trek program, that's that's very much that when you're down in the hole and you're working towards wellness, Buddy Up is very much that when you're in the wellness space and you really want to... We're people of service. We've given a lot to our communities and our countries and sometimes when you leave service, there doesn't seem any more. And so Buddy Up is working in that wellness space of working in your local communities to really give people the networking, um, use some of their skills, reach out to some of the people and say, Hey, we're here. We're of service. And it's a really great thing.
0: Very nice. And if you're listening to this podcast, just have a peek at at the show notes to this uh podcast. this episode and the link to buddy up australia will be right there and if you're watching this video just scroll down and it's right there in the show notes if you're looking on facey or on youtube you can see the the links to buddy up right there and that kind of brings me to my next question about atv consulting that's your business tell us a little bit about your side hustle outside of the my side the hustle yes so
1: outside of defense between mumming and all the other good stuff i run a uh, a coaching and consulting business and look what i do effectively i'm doing a lot of trauma recovery work so i've found that the best place to work with people is in the great outdoors so i was hoping to do a uh, this session outside today but the weather gods weren't with me <laughs> but yeah so look my atv consulting is predominantly working in the great outdoors and the thing I specialise most in is that trauma recovery for vet- veterans and emergency services. So, again, I speak publicly about uh, these hard heating topics because, well, we can.
0: Amy, why do you think being outside helps?
1: I think for a lot of our – a lot of the time in the day, we're, we're in a box. We're in a box. And so to be able to get outside that box sometimes can be enough to create change, change in thinking, change in feeling – And that opens people up who have been so closed off to possibility. And they, when in a coaching context, the possibilities they put out there, but I tell you what, seeing and working alongside some people who have found themselves stuck to where they are now, I'll be doing it for a very, very long time.
0: I was going to ask you, I can see, you know, we're talking about some heavy things here. They're hard to talk about. I can see in your body language it's difficult to talk about and it's hard for me to hear as well. Don't worry. But I can see your eyes light up when you talk about that and oh, helping people is the most empowering thing that another individual can do. do. Do you think you found a little place in the world?
1: Oh, 100%, 100%. <laughs> Look, I long-term after this, I mean, just to be of service to people uh, and knowing that just showing people they're not alone uh, is the biggest thing and knowing that I have the tools and most of the time people have the tools within them to get themselves to wellness, but allowing them that space to find it, tell you what.
0: Very, very, very important thing to be doing. Thank you and kudos to you for, for doing that and taking on such a difficult task. It's, that's a very hard thing to take on other people's trauma and their problems like that. And we need more people like you, one of Australia's unsung heroes for sure. So thank you for all that you do for the veteran community. You know, I've, I've had to be a little bit introspective myself recently as the, the entrepreneur. And I, I kind of had to redefine my definition of success and it's not so much anymore about a financial goal because that's kind of happened and everything's okay where, where I want it to be and where I needed and expected it to be. And so it's really forced me to be like, well, Mick, you achieve those goals, you know, what's the definition of success? And really what it came down to is about how many people I can affect and impact with this, of all things, a podcast. And the, the really great thing is on the end of this microphone and the end of, end of this call with you, we get to affect thousands and thousands of people and thousands and thousands of people hear our message and connect with our message. And I know they do because I get all the feedback and it's really important and nothing better than being able to give back. And I think for many years, I focused on the wrong things in terms of financial goals. And as soon as I took my, I moved that out of the way and focused on affecting as many people as I can in a positive way, the financial goals just went pop, 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 pop. I'm like, I wish I had a Realised that years ago, I would have been a lot further ahead financially like that. So it sounds like you're doing exactly the same thing, and it's a it's a beautiful thing. Is what's on the horizon for you in the next twelve to eighteen months with your business?
1: Uh, well, I am. I'd love to say I'll serve indefinitely, but honestly, I have found that I have so much passion for being of service to the serving and emergency services communities that that's where I'll take my long term future. So dive into the business do some more counseling or do some counseling for Buddy Up and really just get passionate about the issues that we know that are affecting the beautiful men and women out there.
0: Excellent. Well, how many, how many years of service have you got so far? You must have a, a Parramatta badge with like five pips in it by now, do you? <laughs> 23,
1: 23 years of fun. <laughs>
0: 23 years of service. Congratulations on that. And thank you. Thank you for your ongoing service to Australia in the Navy in that capacity. That's that's inspiring. That's awe-inspiring. You know, it's like that, that's a go-all-in thing on its own to be able to do the one thing for more than 10 years like that. You know, they say we have multiple careers and you've been doing it the same thing for a long time now. So is there is there a couple more years in you?
1: Yeah, the role I'm in at the moment is just people central, which is fabulous. So I'm going to explore that and just... Work like crazy in there because I really love it. Uh, again, it uh, gives me that capacity to talk about some of the taboo topics and really help people to bring out the best in themselves. So, passionate about my current role, but 100% long term. I just see myself giving back to this community.
0: That's so good. You know, there's you, you've got yourself a new mission there. A lot of people struggle in transition when they leave the military. I know that I did, and that's I kind of alluded to that where I probably got out five years too early. And the reason I say five years is because it took me five years to adjust to be a civvy from going to being a, a door kicking paratrooper to being, I don't know, on the other side of that. It took me a long time to adjust to that. And I knew I got out too soon. And that transition was very hard for me, even though I had business and I had jobs and a family and all of those things, I didn't really have a mission. And it sounds like if you've got a mission, like you've got going on there, then transitions for you eventually when they come, they will be uh, pretty seamless and pretty easy. Yeah,
1: exciting. Pretty exciting.
0: Very nice. All right. As we come to the end of the podcast here, Amy, thank you so much for being so open and allowing me to ask such probing questions. Um, it's, they're difficult topics to, to talk about, but we must talk about them because everybody in the media is talking about them, but they're not talking about the actual details of it. So hopefully the the folks listening today got something out of that. And, and, uh, if you need a hand or, you need some help, make sure you put your hand up and I'll put a couple of links in the show notes to Beyond Blue Buddy Up and of course to ATV Consulting as well. I can't let you go without putting you in the hot seat. So many podcasters do this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow their idea and take it because I love it. It's a couple of quick questions. Just tell me the first things that come to mind. No particular order. It's pretty random. The last one's a little bit maybe deep and meaningful. So we'll leave it on a deep and meaningful note if we can. All right, here we go. You ready? Where's the, where's the favourite place that you've visited while you've been in the Navy? Because you go to some obscure places, right, that you'd never pay money to. Uh, Singapore. Singers? Yes. How many times have <laughs> you been to Singers?
1: Uh, I've been there oh, twice now.
0: Twice? That's not many for a birdie, see. If you're no, a Diddy you like sing- me getting up I
1: went top. To i after being in the Middle East for a long time and there was no rain over there. So we got to Singapore and the, it was just, it had opened up and for that moment I was like, this is heaven.
0: beautiful right i don't think people realize uh how dry the middle east actually is like when you think of the desert in australia it's like harsh like the red sand the red dirt but the the middle east is very different i remember on on my golf trip way back when it was in 1996 dry i was a ship's diver so i was like haha i get to go in the water you get in the water and it's no colder in the water than it is out of the water (laughs) Yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> singers, if you've never been a Singers, get your ass there because it's a good place. What's the best part about being in the Navy?
1: The people, 100% the people.
0: Very nice, very nice. Well said. All right, if you're feeling a little bit down and life's getting a bit on top of you, what do you think the best thing is that somebody could do? What's the number one piece of advice that you would give to them?
1: Get out of your head. <laughs> get out of your head. Get out of the space. Do something for you, whether it's, you know, we're all time poor these days, so whether or not it's a coffee, a text to someone you love, scruffing the dog and giving it a bit of a pat, just one little thing just to get out of your head and feel better.
0: Beautifully said. All right, last one for the hot seat. It's a serious podcasting question. What's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received?
1: Best piece of business advice? Document everything. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds
0: like a bit of
1: Navy advice. I mean, it's been great having a military background because I can, I can document things really well, but when it comes to managing the business side, I had, uh, I did a uh, start a new business set for a new business startup. And I tell you what, I learned so much that I didn't know. So documenting in terms of business, yeah, that's that's where it's at. Document it all. <laughs> I,
0: lo- I love a bit of pragmatic and practical business advice. Excellent. All right, Amy, thank you for that. That's a little bit of fun to close out the show. If people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Back through your website or LinkedIn?
1: Uh, yep, LinkedIn, my website, uh, au.
0: Awesome. And again, if you're listening to this on your phone, just make sure you pick your phone and the links to Amy's website and her LinkedIn are right there and make sure you connect with her and check it out. And if you feel the need to go and talk to somebody, make sure you get out of your head and do that because there's some links there as well for you as well. And If you're watching the video, just scroll down and make sure you please connect with Amy because I know that she'll, uh, she'll reply to you. All right, Amy, thank you so much for coming on the Goal In Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. This has been one of those big box ticking things that I absolutely wanted to do when I started it and to talk about PTSD and and veterans health and and whatnot. And if you're feeling a little bit down or you're struggling a little bit, I can't reiterate it enough. Just go ahead and, and connect with the people on the links there that we've got, or you can feel free to reach out to Amy or you know what, if you want to reach out to me, you can do that too. I'd be happy to take a call. Happy to take an email as well. Thanks, Amy, again, for coming on. Really appreciate it. And we look forward to speaking. With Thank
1: you. you for having me. And look, Rob, thanks so much for being um, being open to walking in this space. Like we know, it's not, it's not comfortable to be able to put some of this stuff out there. But thanks for allowing me that space to just speak.
0: That's my absolute pleasure. And thanks, thanks for doing it. Thank you. All right. Bye for now. Bye. Well, there you have it, folks. Amy is certainly an inspiration to me. It takes courage to share your story because it's painful, but in that sharing, there's some freedom to that. And in some ways, freedom equals salvation. So thank you, Amy, for doing that for us and sharing your story with us. And thank you for all that you do as well. Make sure if you want to connect with Amy, you visit her website and connect with her on LinkedIn. And all of the links are right there on your phone in the show notes already. And if you're watching this video, just scroll down and you can connect with Amy really quickly and easily there as well. As I mentioned at the top of the show, if this podcast raises any issues for you or you want to talk some more about these topics or seek some help, then please leverage the services that are out there like lifeline.org.au or beyondblue.org.au or buddyupaustralia.org.au. Okay, if you have a comment or some feedback for the show, you can reach out via the Go All In socials or if you want to send an email, you can do that as well. Just visit goallin.com.au to find out more. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. So whatever it is that you're doing, whatever you're working on, get busy, get to it and go all in. I'll see you next time.
2: There are stains on your photo Little cracks on your rusty frame Stuck in the mud But it's okay Yeah.